Gosh, I want to say the last time I taught in here on a Wednesday night, I was going, I think I went through Leviticus, if I'm not mistaken. And we're going to be in your other, we didn't go through the whole book, uh, but, but we went through a little part. So I'm going to hit everybody else's favorite book, uh, which is Deuteronomy. So you guys can go to Deuteronomy. We're going to be, uh, we're going to be in chapter uh, four um, most of the night. We might jump to a couple other places. Um, I got to teach at uh, the Christian school today. I went to their chapel, uh, was able to kind of teach uh, them. Uh, it's, it's always fun to uh, get to connect with, with all those different kids, different ages. Uh, I taught mid-school first and then high school. Uh, it's, it's just a fun time. Uh, I always want the Lord to speak through me. But we're actually going to look at the same passage that I looked at uh, with them today. Obviously, we're going to go into a little more, more detail. Uh, I probably won't use my hide-and-seek example with you guys. Uh, unless you guys play a lot of hide-and-seek. Uh, just slip your hand up if you've been playing. All right, there's a couple. <laughs> uh, so uh, it, it, was, it was really fun. This, this passage, uh, in, in fact, the entire book of Deuteronomy uh, has been used by God in my life uh, a lot over the years. And, and I, don't know, I don't know why that is, but it seems like Every time I'm going through something, it seems like I just happen to be in Deuteronomy again. It's not, uh, I, I don't know what it is. And the, and the Lord has uh, used this book in my life in incredible ways. I've made huge decisions. In fact, the decision that uh, my wife and I made uh, to come here was largely led by what the Lord was showing me uh, in the book of Deuteronomy. And so I, I just love this book. It's a recap of, of really uh, the entire Exodus. I mean, uh, and, and it's, a, it's a good recap and it's a quick recap, uh, but I, I feel like it, it focuses on God and his activity. Maybe just a little more. I feel like we just get a little more behind the scenes look uh, at things in the book of Deuteronomy. And uh, so I'm, I'm really excited to get into it. I know you're not, but that's because it's the book of Deuteronomy. Um, but that's, that's going to be all right. You guys are going to have uh, a great time. Really the context as we get to this particular chapter, uh, is Moses has now led the people out of Egypt. They've already gone through their 40 years in the desert. They're really on, on the edge of the promised land, about to push into the promised land that God swore to give to them and their fathers and everything. God is about to fulfill this huge promise, this land promise to, the, to his people Israel. And it's there where Moses says, I need to tell you guys some things uh, that you need to know before we get into the promised land. And I think that this is obviously divinely inspired. We're going to be reading the words of God given through Moses to the people. And so I don't want us to lose sight that this is, this is Moses talking to the people, but he's, he's urging them to follow the Lord like they have learned for the last 40 years in the wilderness uh, as, as they've been uh, away from civilization and, and kind of wandering in the wilderness uh, for all of that time. And so uh, that's, that's pretty much the context. Now, uh, Moses' warning to them is, is basically, I know things have been bad up to this point, 
because you've been wandering in the wilderness, but you're about to receive the promises of God. Now, you've been walking with him through all of this. Now, we remember that an entire generation has passed away that rebelled against the Lord. And so now this new generation is ready to follow the Lord wherever the Lord leads them. And that's what they're excited to do. Now, Moses is saying, here's, here's, here's what's going to happen. And he has insight from the Lord. Here's what's going to happen when you enter in to the promised land. Things are going to get really, really good for a while. And when things are really, really good, you should be careful that you don't forget the Lord. You should be careful that you don't forget where you've come from, what he's brought you out of. He brought you out of slavery. He brought you through the wilderness. There's actually a verse a couple, uh, a couple pages before. Uh, I love Moses says, uh, God knows that you're in the wilderness. He tells them, God knows that you're having a hard time right now. He knows that you're in the wilderness. And so uh, Moses says, this, this is what's going to happen when you get into the promised land. Things are going to go good. And you're going to forget God. And then you're going to remember God. And then he's going to talk to them about what God is going to do. And you would think God has just had enough. But you uh, would be wrong. So I want to jump in. Actually, I think I'm going to jump in uh, a little to chapter 4. Just to give us a little context. Uh, He says, uh, this is verse 9. Only take care... And keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen. You need to be careful to not forget the things that you have witnessed, uh, which is basically leaving slavery and getting through uh, the wilderness, all of the manna that God provided, the water that he provided, the quail that he provided. And then he says, lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. How on the day that you stood before the Lord God at Horeb, the Lord said to me, Gather the people to me that I may let them hear my words so that they may learn to fear me all of their days. And they live on the, all of the days that they live on the earth and that they may teach their children so. And you came near and you stood at the foot of the mountain while the mountain burned with fire to the heart of heaven, wrapped in darkness, cloud and gloom. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of words, but you saw no form. There was only a voice. And he, God, declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform. That is the Ten Commandments. And he wrote them on the two tablets of stone. And the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you the statutes and the rules that you might do them in the land that you're going to possess. So that really kind of sets the scene for for where we're going. Remember the culture of idolatry that the Israelites were rescued out of and the cultures of idolatry that they encountered in the wilderness for those 40 years, okay? That's really important as we get to chapter 4 because it's going, God is going to deal and Moses is going to deal a lot with idolatry here. Uh, idolatry, I want to just uh, kind of make something clear. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, idolatry, uh, I think, 
in the church has become kind of a catch-all phrase, and I, I don't think that's a good thing. Uh, I think idolatry is when you worship a false god by way of idol, okay? So this is, this is what idolatry is. This isn't like forsaking God and, and just worrying about money and your, your job and your possessions. This is actually bowing down, worshiping a false God, okay? That's what idolatry is. So uh, that's what we're talking about. We're not talking about these different kind of forms of cliche idolatry in the church, like, well, you're making an idol out of that. And well, we're not really making idols out of those things. Now, it may be it may not be a good thing that we're dedicating so much time and energy to something besides the Lord. But that's not the same thing as idolatry. If you've ever visited another country, I remember when I went to China, uh, it broke my heart the first time that I saw true idolatry right in front of my eyes. Uh, we, we took a tour through this huge cave um, and at the very end of this cave, kind of when the cave opens back up to get out uh, back to the real world, out of the cave, uh, there was, I mean, the largest statue of Buddha that I've ever seen in my life. And uh, I'd been there probably by that time about six weeks or so, really gotten to know the, the people that at the school who were really just there to show us around and take care of us, make sure uh, that, that none of us uh, Americans died in China. I mean, this was basically their job, and we loved these people. They were awesome people. So we're going through this whole thing with them at the end, and I never, I never thought uh, that, that those people that I had come to know and love so much, uh, I, I guess I just hadn't thought about exactly what they did and how they practiced their religion. And so we get uh, to that huge uh, statue of Buddha. I would probably come up, it was sitting, I, I was probably not even up to its knee. So just to give you a little perspective, his knee was this high if he was kind of sitting Indian style. That's how Buddha sits, is Indian style. It's his preferred way of uh, sit, sitting in idols, I guess. Uh, but um, we came out of that cave and uh, our friend's name was Wang Wei. And she went up to that idol and she just bowed down to it. And all, all of us just started crying. Because for the first time, we were actually seeing like what we read about in Scripture, that, that this person is worshiping an idol, something made by hands. And uh, it, it, was, it was just horrible for us. And we were there, obviously, to share the gospel. And we did get to share with her. Um, and uh, so that's... Just so you know, I just kind of wanted to set, set the pace for, for this chapter so that you understand that idolatry. And uh, we'll, we'll get to my favorite verse uh, here in a little bit, but we're going to kind of slowly wade through this passage and uh, see, see where the Lord takes us. Uh, we're going to be in now verse uh, 15. Therefore, watch yourselves very carefully. Since you saw no form on the day that the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the midst of the fire, beware lest you act corruptibly by making a carved image for yourself. So he's taking them back to when they received uh, the Ten Commandments. And he's already reminded them, remember, when God met with you there and he was giving you those Ten Commandments through me because you didn't see him, you saw all the fire, all the smoke, all the gloom, you saw all of that, but you didn't see any form. So you need to be careful 
about creating the likeness of God when you go into the promised land because it's one of the Ten Commandments. Don't have idols. Idolatry is forbidden when you're following the Lord. Now, why would they have the propensity to do that? Well, we already saw that they did that in the wilderness, right? With the golden calf. We already know that this has happened. Uh, we already know that this is, this is something that the other cultures were fine with. And so it was a big change for them to, to try and understand God in a very different way when everybody else was looking at their gods a totally different way. And so it was hard for them. And so that is basically what they're going to be inclined to do. And he says, don't do that. Don't do it. Don't make a carved image for yourselves in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female, the likeness of any animal that is on earth, the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, the likeness of any fish that is in the water under the earth. And beware lest you raise your eyes to heaven. And when you see the sun and the moon and the stars and all the host of heaven, you be drawn away and bow down to them and serve them. Listen to what it says. Things that the Lord your God has allotted to all the peoples under the whole heaven. So right here, God is saying, listen, I'm sorry, Moses is saying, listen, you're forbidden to make an idol of the one true God, but you're also forbidden to make an idol of any of the things that he's created, not the sun, not the moon, not the stars, not animals, not anything in the sea, nothing. This is what displeases the Lord. You are on the brink of receiving the promise that God made to your forefathers. And you have to know this before you go in there and receive that. Because guess who is in the land where they're about to go to? Idol worshipers. They're everywhere. This is one of the reasons God said, don't intermarry with the people down there. It wasn't anything about race. You'll hear that in our society now. Talk about, well, God, was, he, was, he was a racist because he didn't want uh, the Israelites entering, intermarrying with other people from other places. It, that is true, but he's not a racist. He didn't want his people's hearts to be drawn away from him to other false gods, which he knows would be to their detriment. So Moses is saying, you, you can't do any of this. As you go into the promised land, this is not acceptable. I love how he calls uh, all of those things, things. He didn't call them gods. He didn't call them false gods. He didn't call them idols. He just says, these are things that God has given. Don't make an idol out of any of them. But the Lord, this is verse 20, has taken you. And he has brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt. It's a, definitely a different way of describing slavery. doesn't sound like a, a, a good thing, does it? The iron furnace. To be a people of his own inheritance as you are this day. So what Moses is saying is you're, you belong to God. He has set you free. You decided to follow him into the wilderness. You have decided that he is your God. And he has decided that you are his people. As his people, you don't do these things. He's going to tell them what they should do here in a minute. Furthermore, the Lord was angry with me because of you. Moses has to throw that in there every now and then. 
don't forget that uh, I had to stand in the gap a little bit for you guys. Don't forget that uh, God was angry with you, but he kind of took it out on me. Furthermore, the Lord was angry with me because of you, and he swore that I should not cross the Jordan. So Moses is telling them, I'm not going to be the guy who takes you into the promised land. It's not going to be me. God has already told me it is not me. I get to see it and then I am going to die. Uh, and so they're going to have to go alone. But this is, these are kind of Moses' last instructions to the people. Here's what you need to know from me, the guy who has been leading you for the last 40 years and God I've been, as I have been following God. And so the people are definitely going to listen to him because he's their leader. He's the man that God has been using to get them closer and closer to his promise. He swore that I should not cross the Jordan and that I should not enter the good land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. It must have been hard for Moses to put up with all of the people, with all of their grumbling, with all of the drama that they had in the wilderness with, remember he broke the, the Ten Commandments, the first ones that the Lord had given him because he was so angry. Remember when he came down the mountain and he saw them bowing down to an idol? I mean, just after God had delivered them, they knew that a calf hadn't delivered them from Egypt, but they went ahead and made it anyway. It would be hard to hear from God, this is, uh, this is my will, that, that you don't get to go inherit that land. And the reason was, is because uh, there, was, uh, there was an instance where uh, Moses was told to uh, speak to a rock so that the Lord would burst forth water out of the rock. And Moses, I think he was just, I think he was angry I think he was probably angry with God. I think he was angry with the people. And instead of speaking to the rock like God had commanded, he struck the rock. And I bet he struck it hard. I bet he was just angry. And God says, all right, I'm not going to wipe you off the face of the earth now, but you're not going to get to see the promised land. So let's keep going. Verse 22, for I must die in this land. I must not go over the Jordan. But you shall go over and you shall take possession of that good land. Here he gives a little more advice. Take care lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you. And make, the, and, and make a carved image, the form of anything that the Lord your God has forbidden you. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire. He is a jealous God. Consuming fire just speaks to the power of God. The fact that evil isn't allowed to be in his presence. Uh, the fact that, you remember, I mean, even uh, the cattle had a line uh, along the mountain that they weren't allowed to go any closer. The people couldn't go cross that line either because the power of God, his glory and everything else uh, would, would just kill them. And so he's saying, he's, God is your God. He's a jealous God. He doesn't want you giving credit to some false god or some idol for the things that he has done. So you be careful to remember everything that he's done for you. All right, we're getting pretty close to, to my favorite part of this. When, your father, when you father children and children's children, 
And you've grown old in the land, and you act corruptly by making a carved image in the form of anything, and by doing what is evil in the sight of the Lord your God, so as to provoke him to anger. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that you will soon utterly perish from the land that you're going over the Jordan to possess. So he's saying, if you go over there and you, you start making idols, you start following false gods, the land will be taken from you. A little more accurately, because we know the story, they will be taken away from the land. And they will be taken to captivity. And we'll, we'll look at one of those captivity passages in just a second. Uh, but just so you know, this is, this is what God is saying. You're going to go over there, and if you forget God, he, he doesn't have to let you live in the land forever. If you forsake him, he's going to take you out of the land and he's going to spread you uh, wherever he wants to spread you. Uh, He says, you will not live long in it, but you will be utterly destroyed. And the Lord will scatter you from among the peoples, sorry, scatter you among the peoples, and you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. We know about the Assyrian captivity. We know about the Babylonian captivity. Uh, these, are, these are basically God's punishments for the people abandoning God. So God scatters them to the nations. They flee from Israel. A lot are taken into captivity, different captivities. And uh, it's there where they realize life sure has gotten bad since we left the land and since we left our God. And so God is, uh, I, I love how Moses is just setting this. This is so, so many years before all of this happens. But Moses still knows the hearts of the people. And there you will serve gods of wood and stone, the work of human hands. All of this before, just on the brink of the promised land, he says, here's, what, here's what's going to happen. You're going to go over there and you're going to make idols. You're going to forsake God. And he's going to take you out of the land and scatter you uh, in other places. You're going to serve other gods of wood and stone, the work of human hands that neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. God just makes a point to rub it into the fact you're, you're going to do something really stupid. You're going to take part of God's creation and you're going to fashion a false God out of it and you're going to bow to that as though the creation were the creator which is not the case those idols that you're going to make and that you're going to worship they're not alive they're not living like the one true living God the one who has guided you through the wilderness they don't hear they don't eat They don't speak. They don't smell. They're not living. They're just things. This is is my verse. This is one that the Lord has used in my life when it seems like things are are getting pretty tough. I think think the human condition just kind of sets us up for, uh, for kind of a roller coaster ride with God where we sometimes think, you know what? I got all this under control. I don't really need anybody else. I don't need to follow anybody else. I think I got a good understanding of life. And we just, we just kind of walk our own way. We do our own thing until a certain point when things get pretty hard. I was talking to that, that person today. Things had gotten really hard in their life. And they're at the end of their rope. 
And it's usually then when we think about God again. You know what? Maybe I can't do this on my own. So we go from this high to this low, and then we'll, we'll, things will get good again. And, and just like the Israelites, now we're not in the same situation. I know we're not on the brink of idolatry usually. Uh, but as far as it concerns the Lord and following Him like we know that we should, we, we think, you know what, things are really good right now. And, and maybe it's even uh, like a subconscious thing. We, we just, we're not like purposely doing it, but we're like, things are good. I, I don't really think much about God anymore until things get really bad again. And then we realize, you know what, I need to, I need to get back on track with God. A lot, of, a lot of people come forward here at the church and they say, I, I just want to get things right with the Lord. I'm not not where I need to be. I know what He expects of me. I know what He wants of me. I know what's right, but I've been off the path. And the Israelites were on that path all the time. They, they were like, yeah, you're our God. We love you. We follow you. Everything uh, that you say we're going to do. And the next thing, you know, it's like the next day. They're like, God who? I don't know what you're talking about. What do we, who do we need to follow? Why do we need to do that? And I, I see us I see us doing the same things in our lives. I wish I could say that uh, Brian was exempt from this as a pastor, but he's not. You see this, this pattern in his life. Uh, you also see it in mine as well. <laughs> Got to pick on somebody, right? All right. But from there, listen to this. You will seek the Lord your God. So you're going to go over, you're going to possess the land. At some point, you're going to forget God. You're going to bow down to idols that you make. And sometime you're going to have a realization. You're going to call out to the Lord again. This is the word seek. The, the word seek in this case means seek in order to actually find what you're looking for. Okay? Uh, I, when I was, gosh, it, it had to be maybe maybe middle school. It was middle school. It was probably sixth grade. I went on a vacation to uh, Denver, Colorado, and I had the, the worst, ugliest 1990s leather Yankee jacket. Uh, if you saw this thing right now, if I could bring it up, you would just leave. It's, it's hideous. It had one red arm, one blue arm, really nice leather. <laughs> and it was this black material on the front. I think it had an NY here. On the, on the back, it was a huge Yankees logo. It was the, the most hideous uh, jacket that I've ever seen, but I loved uh, this jacket. I absolutely loved it. And we're at, uh, we're, I think we're coming back from vacation, and uh, the plane is ready to board, so we go get in line. And uh, unbeknownst to me at the time, I leave that jacket wherever I was sitting and never got to see it again. So we get, we fly back here to Las Cruces and uh, I'm like, uh, hey, did anybody get my uh, Yankee jacket? And everybody's like, no, we don't, we don't have that. Well, you know what I didn't do? I didn't start tearing up my house and looking for it. You know why? Because I knew it was in Denver and I knew I would never see it again. So that's not the kind of seek that this is talking about. That's seeking for something that you know you're not going to find. All right. This is seeking something that you know that you're going to find. Like some of you have lost your minds. Most of you, I'm looking over, every, most of you have lost your minds. You can't find it. Sorry. It's gone. Not the same kind of seek. This is seeking something that you're actually going to be able to find. All right? So God says to them, you're going to seek the Lord your God. And he uses that word. What does that mean? 
If they seek him, they're going to find him. And he says that. From there, you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find him. Then he lays a good condition on it. From there, in that place where you've abandoned God, when you realize that all of that has happened, you're going to call on the Lord, you're going to seek the Lord, and you're going to find him. But here's the condition of your seeking. You have to seek him with all of your heart and with all of your soul. Now the heart in uh, the Jewish culture was the center of, we would really call it the mind. This is kind of your thoughts and your, your intentions and things like that. That's how they thought of their heart. All right. We would say uh, you would want to follow the Lord with all of your mind. Then they would, then they, and then he said the, the word soul. Now the soul was thought of more as that place of, of emotion, more of that, that place of, uh, like passion and things like that. And so God says, here's how I want you to seek me. And if you seek me like this, you will find me. It has to be with all of your thoughts, with all of your intentions, with all of your emotions, with all of your passion. That's how I want you to seek me. I was thinking about this and I was like, "What, what does that even look like? Does that mean like I need to like... I clench my fist and clench my jaw and just really, really seek after the Lord. No, it's, it's nothing about like how hard we do it. It's the sincerity with which we do it. If we're not sincere in seeking the Lord, our God, or the Israelites in this case, if they weren't sincere in seeking the Lord, their God, they wouldn't find him. But if they were sincere in the way that they sought him, they would find him. When you're in tribulation, it just means when you need help, when you're in distress, and all of these things come upon you in the latter days or the days to come, you will return to the Lord your God and you're going to obey his voice. Why? For the Lord your God is a merciful God. So Moses is saying, you're You're going to go over there. You're going to mess up. You're going to want to run back to the Lord. And the Lord is merciful. He's not going to give you what you deserve. What you deserve is to not find him when you seek him. But if you seek him with sincerity of heart, you seek him with all that you are, you will find him. There's another passage that, uh, in, in Scripture. This is actually repeated several times uh, throughout Scripture, which I think makes it that much more important. Uh, but there's, there's one part where uh, the Lord says, uh, If you seek me, I will let you find me when you seek me with all of your heart, your mind, and your soul. I will let you find me. I love the way that promise is made to the Israelites. Now, I know we're not on the brink of the promised land we have no land promise from God. He's made no huge promises to me that he has to fulfill that I'm on the brink of. I'm not worshiping other gods. My situation and your situation is totally different from the Israelites' situation. Like 100% different. But can you see the kind of God you serve? See how he dealt with these people? with their idolatry, with their walking away from him, how do you think he's going to deal with you? This unchanging God that we serve. He's going to deal with you the same way. If you run away from him, if you forsake him for a time, 
If you go your own way, you do your own things, you get caught up in the things you never should have got caught up into. When you're there, and you realize that you're there, you can still seek the Lord. And if that's done with sincerity, if that's done with your heart, your mind, and your soul, the Lord will let you find Him. Listen, this is what I told the kids. God is horrible at hide and seek. He doesn't want to hide. He's not hiding. He just wants you to seek. And if you seek with sincerity, you will find Him no matter what point you're at in your life. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that He swore to them. Jeremiah 29, 11. I'll end with this. I should have marked this. Yes, I know where Jeremiah is. You don't need to worry about it. (laughs) Speaking of the captivity, Jeremiah, God through Jeremiah says this, Then you will call upon me, And come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me, and you'll find me when you seek me with all of your heart. And I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from the nations and all the places that I've driven you to, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. That's all we have today. Thank you guys so much for coming. We'll see you Sunday if you're here. Uh, If not, uh, then I'll see you whenever I see you. You guys have a good night. Bye.